You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of Girl Speak Trailblazers. I'm Tiffany Rhodes, program developer with Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores the art, history, and culture of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programs are volunteer-run and supported by listeners like you. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. Happy Museum Day! We're sorry that Devin couldn't join us for another great mythology podcast. Instead, I'd like to take this month to talk about something I'm always a little annoyed about. Women trailblazers. Today is Museum Day, a Smithsonian-run, day-long celebration of museums and the stories they showcase. This year, the theme is Women Trailblazers, celebrating all the awesome things that women have done to bring us to the world of today. It's a great thing to celebrate. Trailblazers serve as inspirations to girls all over the world. Yet, many of these trailblazers, indeed even the theme of today, women trailblazers, are adults. Again, we see the notion that females are only incredible after they have lived their full lives. But they're not. While it's great to shine a light on our foremothers, it is equally as important to shine a light on the young girls and women who are blazing trails in the present. These girls, many surprisingly young, are working tirelessly to advocate for the causes they care about, create and innovate new solutions to regional and global problems, and most of all make the world a better place for you and me. So how do we highlight and celebrate their work? That's where Girl News International comes in. As one of Girl Museum's premier projects, Girl News International seeks to collect, reflect on, and disseminate news specifically about girls in the world. This includes the celebratory profiles of trailblazers, but also the heartbreaking tragedies still unfolding simply because one is born female. On the 1st and 15th of each month, we publish these stories in an easily accessible online newspaper helping to increase the spread of girl stories and collectively showcase whether we are progressing towards our shared goal of a better and more equal world for girls. In our most recent issues, we've highlighted stories that showcase how women trailblazers, or in this case, girl trailblazers, are shaping our world today. For example, in mid-August, we learned about a team of Nigerian girls who, within five months, learned to code and won a major tech award in California. As detailed in a CNN report, the girls learned to build a mobile app from scratch using open source software from MIT. Their resulting app, FD Director, helps users identify fake medicines using a drug's barcode to verify its authenticity and expiration date. Their goal? Stop the widespread sale of counterfeit drugs in Nigeria, which claims countless lives, including one of the girls, Jessica Ostia, whose brother died after taking fake drugs. The team, named Save a Soul, entered and won the 2018 Technovation Challenge. Speaking to CNN, the girls' mentor, Uchenna Ugwu, stated, It was a beautiful experience for them. They have experienced so many firsts. 
They were entering a flight for the first time. The girls were scared and overwhelmed. They asked me, how can we compete with these countries who have been using tech for a very long time? I told them, it's not how long ago you started, but how well you do. Five months ago, they didn't have access to the internet or how to write an email. They could not believe that they had the opportunity to touch the almighty computer. Another recent story highlighted Tatiana Calderon, a young woman from Bogota, Colombia, who dreamed of racing. Every day after school, she visited the go-karting track, harboring dreams of racing in the Formula One. She worked through local, regional, and national championships, often achieving many firsts for females in Formula One, before competing in the prestigious Formula Three at just 19 years old. In her opening season, she recorded a ninth-place finish. Now 27. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 103 of Girls Speak, Girls in Museums 2018. I'm Tiffany Rhodes, program developer for Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores the art, history, and culture of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programs are volunteer-run and supported by listeners like you. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. Happy International Day of the Girl! We are thrilled to continue our celebrations with another look at how girls are represented in museums around the world. Today, I'll be showcasing recent museum reviews from our blog. Let's get started. Our first review comes from Libby Sarah, who recently visited the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, Massachusetts with her mother. In her review, Libby stated, while wandering through the seemingly endless collection of artifacts, furniture, decorations, and artworks from all around the world, I became so inspired to learn as much as I could about this fascinating woman. Here is what I gathered from the museum and some online digging. Isabel Stu uh, Stewart Gardner was originally born in New York City on April 14, 1840. Her father made a fortune importing Irish linen and investments. Isabella went to a private school in New York and finished her schooling in Paris, where she met John Lowell Gardner, Jr. They later married in New York City and moved to Boston. In 1863, they had a son who died of pneumonia at just two years old. In attempts to bring Isabella out of her depression from losing her son, Jack Gardner took her on a trip to Russia and Europe. This was the beginning of many trips and adventures the two would take over the years including Egypt and the Middle East in 1874-75, to and Asia from 1883 to 1884. 
Not only did Isabella collect amazing treasures along her travels, but she also wrote extensive journals. In 1878, Isabella met Charles Eliot Norton, who was the first professor of art history at Harvard University. He inspired her to start collecting rare books and manuscripts. She started with the early editions of Dante. The pair then visited Venice in 1884, where Isabella visited Palazzo Barbaro, which became a huge inspiration for her and her museum. In 1886, Isabella met her future chief art advisor, Harvard graduate Bernard Berenson. He is quoted talking about Isabella, saying, "She lives at a rate and intensity with a reality that makes others' lives seem pale, thin, and shadowy." Sadly, in December 1898, Jack Gardner died of a stroke. But just six weeks later, Isabella continued with their plan to buy land in the Fens and build a museum of their collections. William T. Sears was picked as the architect. Construction for the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum began in 1899 and finished in 1901. Collections of paintings, sculptures, tapestries, furniture, manuscripts, rare books, and decorative arts were installed. The museum's grand opening was January 1, 1903, paired with a concert by the Boston Symphony Orchestra and the grand opening of the Interior Courtyard Garden. The museum was open to the public the following month. Although the museum was already open, Isabella continued to collect artwork and work on the installations for the rest of her life. Our next review recaps my visit to the Kentucky Derby Museum earlier this year. Kentucky has one tradition known the world over: the Kentucky Derby. Held each May at Churchill Downs, three-year-old thoroughbreds compete to be the fastest to run one and a quarter miles. Despite being the most exciting two minutes in sports. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with girls? A lot, actually. In going through the Kentucky Derby Museum, the absence of girls is striking. Nearly all those in the industry have been men, except a few notable female owners and jockeys. Not surprisingly, their stories are absent, save for nameplates and a gallery of derby hats. Yet that changed when I went on a tour of Churchill Downs, included with admission. Though their names are few, three fillies, i.e., female horses, have won the Kentucky Derby. Their names were Winning Colors in 1988, Genuine Risk in 1980, and Regret in 1915. Though Winning Colors and Genuine Risk competed in all three Triple Crown races, the Derby is the first. I became fascinated by Regret. She was the first of only four horses to win all three Saratoga Racecourse events for two-year-olds. Following her success in the Saratoga Series, Regret won her first race as a three-year-old, the Kentucky Derby. Seen by nearly forty-nine thousand people, Regret won the length, the race by two lengths, and set a new record for the track of two minutes, five seconds, and two fifths. Regret's win reinvigorated what was a failing race, as the Derby had yet to gain in popularity or standing among thoroughbred races. Her win brought a surge of newspaper coverage to the Derby, elevating the race into American popular culture. From coast to coast, everyone was talking about the Derby and the filly who conquered it. Today, the Kentucky Derby is one of the premier racing events in the world. Thousands gather every May to watch the event. Hoping their favorite horse will take home the title and go on to become a Triple Crown winner. Though I was disappointed that the Kentucky Derby Museum does not represent women or minorities in the racing industry, or even discuss the lack of them, I was surprised to find out that the Derby, as we know it, 
owes its entire success to a three-year-old filly. Proof that girls, of any species, are integral to our world. Another museum that I was privileged to visit this year is the Mary Todd Lincoln House in Lexington, Kentucky. I can sum up my visit in one sentence. It was fantastic. On first glance, the house seems a bit diminished given Mary Todd's standing in history. Surrounded by modern development in downtown Lexington, it looked like a normal house. The only way to see Mary Todd's house is by guided tour. Starting in the front parlor, our docent used each room to discuss Mary Todd's life and her family. The entire tour centered around Mary Todd, and I could not have been happier. Our docent was knowledgeable, having read nearly every book there is on Mary Todd. He separated the facts from his own opinions, stating how he had come to his own conclusions. It was clear he knew Mary Todd better than most scholars I have met. Did you know that Mary Todd wasn't a dark-haired exotic beauty? Neither did I. Looking at her portrait, I never guessed that the blonde, blue-eyed beauty wooed Abraham Lincoln. Her portrait also betrays her true beauty. Wit, charm, intelligence, and one of the best educations of her time. As demonstrated by our guide again and again, Mary Todd's legacy doesn't reflect her truth. She was strong-willed, intelligent, and had a fiery temper that put fear into even Abraham's heart. She knew exactly how to behave at all ranks of society. She was also a compassionate, loving, and supportive wife and mother. The more I heard about Mary Todd, the more I felt she embodied a modern woman more than the stereotype of her own time. Mary Todd experienced great tragedy. She lost all but one child, saw her husband assassinated, was ostracized as first lady, and was committed to an insane asylum by her only surviving child. Yet through it all, she had a strength and authenticity that we don't often hear about in historical narratives of women. Our guide was open about the realities of Mary Todd's life, depression, ostracism, and a family divided by war. She overcame drug addiction, traveled and lived in Europe where she met Queen Victoria and won a court battle for her sanity and estate. Mary Todd's life is fascinating, yet what I enjoyed most was our guide his humor, authenticity, and adherence to separating fact from opinion. He is a great example of how historic home tours can be meaningful experiences. My experience at the Mary Todd Lincoln House was transformative and left a lasting impression. At the end of the tour, our docent explained the benefits of each book on Mary Todd so that I could pick out the best one. If you're ever in Lexington, Kentucky, take a few hours to stop in and see Mary Todd. I promise you won't regret it. Our final review is by Emily Clark, one of our newest junior girls. This past summer, Emily visited the Votes for Women display at the Museum of London. As she stated in her review, the display focused on the 100 years since the representation of the People's Act, 1918, was passed in the UK. The act granted women over the age of 30, who had property rights, the right to vote. The act also gave all men over the age 21 the right to vote, but we won't tackle that inequality today. The women's fight for the vote was won by the courageous and determined suffragettes and suffragists across the UK, fronted by my heroine and namesake, Emmeline Pankhurst. This year, there have been lots of wonderful events, exhibitions, and museum projects connected to the centenary, and as a proud feminist, I am excited to explore as many as possible. I will start by saying, 
The votes for women display is a lot smaller than I'd imagined it would be. I think because I'd seen so much advertising and online marketing, I was envisioning something a lot bigger and grander, but what we found was a relatively small room, which was poorly signposted, and a handful of objects related to the 1918 campaign. Nevertheless, the objects that the museum had selected to highlight were powerful. Projected on the opposite wall is a powerful film commissioned especially for the exhibition, which looks at how the suffragettes' fight impacted Britain, both positively and negatively, and how their militant campaigns impact and influence fights for women's rights in today's society. Although Votes for Women wasn't as fulfilling as we'd hoped, the Museum of London does have an incredible permanent display of suffragette material in the People's City Gallery. This part of the museum was by far our favorite, and includes plenty of suffrage-related objects to satisfy your needs. In the People's City Gallery, and briefly in the Centenary Exhibition, the Museum of London explores the hunger strike campaigns carried out by suffragettes in the early 20th century. The badges, medals, and artwork are made using the recognizable green, purple, and white colors associated with the suffragettes. Of course, the themes and stories shown in this display are incredibly important to exhibit in our museums, as are the events being held throughout the year. 2018 seems to be shaping up as the year that we are telling local, national, and international stories of courageous women who fought and continue to fight for women's rights in the UK and around the world. I feel very lucky to be living in London right now, to be able to participate in a variety of events, attend talks and visit centenary exhibitions to honor the incredible women who changed women's lives in the UK. However, I would agree with many others who argue that these kinds of displays and events should not be special or one-offs or curated just when an important date is impending. Instead, they need to become embedded in our museums, galleries, libraries, and heritage spaces. And we, as museum workers, collectors, and heritage organizations, should be documenting and collecting the work, stories, and history of women to make it part of the norm. Uncovering stories that we are maybe not aware of, showcasing women that aren't well known, and continuing to shine a light on women in fields that we have failed to do so up until now, is just as important as having centenary exhibitions to celebrate famous women's achievements. Perhaps following the, mo the suffragettes' motto of deeds, not words, would be a good start for the sector. Keep fighting. From Boston to Lexington to London, it's clear that girls are in museums all around us. Yet their stories are often only footnotes, if they are mentioned at all. And when girls do take center stage, it is often in the context of their adult lives, or very rarely, a treat to those of us looking for them. That's why Girl Museum celebrates each day of the girl, by looking at how girls are represented in museums around the world. However, our work isn't limited to just today. We work tirelessly, every day, as an all-volunteer team, using our free time to create exhibitions and projects, review museums, and even bring you this podcast, all in the hopes of increasing girls' representation in museums and fostering a more inclusive, gender-equal world. Want to support our work? Go to girlmuseum.org, click on Donate, and then follow the link to join our exclusive membership program the Girl Museum Sisterhood, on Patreon. For as little as $1 per month, you can help support our work in perpetuity and expand our reach across the globe. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next podcast on October 31st, as Sage and I take a special look at girls and witches in the past and present. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.